on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. Oh, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. As always, you can listen on the ESPN app. That is a great way to stay in touch with the program because, you know, you got the phone, you've got the app on the phone, you hit the ESPN app, you find the listen tab, and then wherever you go, we go with you. You're out there shoveling snow out of the driveway. Going out and about, bouncing through Wegmans, wherever you are, we can go with you, my friends, via the ESPN app. It's a beautiful thing. Here's how you get in touch with the program today, 437-7644. That's the phone number. You can hit me where the show never stops on Twitter. That's Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media, or the On the Block text line, 288-0644. We've got two guests joining us today. Excited to talk to both of these gentlemen. Mike DeCourcy, one of my favorite college basketball writers. You've heard him on these airwaves on this show and other places, and I'm sure you read his stuff and follow him on Twitter. And if you are not doing those things, you should. Always a great take. I like Mike's strong opinions on college basketball. Don't always agree, but I appreciate the passion in which he writes these opinions. And he's got some takes, man, on transfer rules, the stars in college basketball, and I just want to get his sense of a few things going on in college basketball this year. So we'll talk to Mike DeCourcy a little later on this hour. Coming up at the top of next hour, John Wildhack, the athletic director at Syracuse University, who joins us on a semi-regular basis here on the block. Looking forward to catching up with John. First time this year on Due diligence. We may have some information on the Carrier Dome. At least we have a deadline in place put out by the Chancellor, but on a certain part of the upcoming Carrier Dome renovation. So we will talk to John about that. The Syracuse football schedule is out. His thoughts on both the men's and women's basketball teams. With women's basketball, they've got a very interesting import on this team who is exciting to watch, and they are going for a record. On Sunday, big game coming up Sunday. Now they play at Miami tomorrow, and of course you will hear that right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse with the voice of Syracuse women's basketball, Brian Higgins. But Sunday's a big day at the Dome for our SU women's hoops, and John Wildhack will tell us about that. So plenty to talk about with the AD, plenty to talk about from last night's Syracuse pit game. This we'll get into here momentarily. 
hot takes, and I mentioned it briefly there in something we'll bring up with John Wildhack, the 2018 Syracuse football schedule is out. How does it relate to last year's schedule? What will the narrative be? We'll play the win-win-loss game. I mean, you just kind of have to, right? Schedule comes out and a number just pops in your head. And will that number be the same when we get closer to the season, when the season starts? We will go over the interesting things. As a matter of fact, we'll do a top five style. Number five. Yes, sir. We'll break out the voice guy, the top five most interesting things about the Syracuse basketball, or pardon me, the Syracuse football schedule in 2018. All that on the way. But we start, of course, with Syracuse's win over Pittsburgh last night. Now, I sat here on these airwaves yesterday, and I will stand by this opinion, that it was Al Davis time. And, of course, appropriate that Al Davis, former Oakland Raiders owner, is a Syracuse alum, coined the phrase that uh, most people in sports stick by, and sometimes it's just this simple, and that phrase is just win, baby. That's what Syracuse needed to do last night. You know, look, for all the discussions we have about Syracuse basketball and how people, you know, critique the team and criticize the team or however you view this thing, it is pretty darn incredible that Jim Beheim's never lost five straight games as the head coach here. 42 years, never lost five straight. That's pretty incredible, that consistency that's there, which goes with the mark that, you know, he's never had a losing season. I mean, these are pretty incredible things to do over four decades, right? But last night, had Syracuse lost that game, which they did not, just win, baby. That would have been the first time that would have happened, and it didn't. And this is a Syracuse team that, let's be honest, they're not a fun watch. They're a tough watch. But that style that they've played has worked and fits, and you know it's just kind of what they are. They're a blue-collar, grinded-out basketball team. And we discussed this a little bit yesterday with Andrew Filipponi, our friend from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. Gone are the days... When Pittsburgh comes in, and that's a big game, that rivalry has evaporated. It it, it is non-existent. I didn't even think about that last night. You thought more about Syracuse needed the win, and you can't lose to a team that has a losing record and has not won in ACC play, how young they were, uh, 9 o'clock star. I mean, there were so many other things. Like, oh, yeah, this is kind of a rivalry game. Like, that didn't even come up in the conversation yesterday because – That's how far Pitt has fallen. And it's kind of sad because there were some great Syracuse-Pittsburgh games in in recent years. The Tyler Ennis shot is just one example. And, you know, Syracuse goes to the Pete next week. You know, you played Pitt, you get BC, and that unique week off that Syracuse has there until they play again a week from today at Boston College and then Pitt again three days later. And as uh, Pony was telling us yesterday that place is nowhere near as intimidating as it is. The students have kind of thrown up their hands. The fans in Pittsburgh are too busy complaining about the Steelers, who fired Todd Haley, by the way, as offensive coordinator, or they're too busy saying, why the hell did you trade Andrew McCutcheon and let you know our, our best pitcher go? Like They are so distracted as it is. The pens are good, and people. It's, it's a rabid hockey town as it is. And it's like, oh, yeah, Pitt basketball's playing. They're just irrelevant. They just they don't matter. It's the old if, if a basketball team plays in a city, does it make a sound kind of thing. And I'm watching this game last night, and like gone are the days when Pittsburgh would come in 
and would intimidate you and would be the physical, you know, wear you down type of team. That's just not what they are. They're very young. They've got a lot of transfers. Last night was their 14th different starting lineup, and they've had some injuries. Ryan Luther's been hurt and some things that we discussed yesterday. But despite that, this is 27-22 at halftime. And Tyus Battle starts the game 0 for 6, and it's just, it's been the same old song for the Syracuse basketball team. To their credit, they always find a way and find a moment where they kind of give you the 1-2 combo, left-left, right, uppercut kind of deal, and all of a sudden you look up and they're up by 10. And last night, it's 39-35, and there's a three-point play between Tyus Battle and Frank Howard, and then you look up and it's 45-35, and you're like, well, that's a 10-point lead. It might as well be 20 in a game like this. Outside of one player for Pittsburgh who had 23 points and was just raining them down from three-point range, outside of that, I mean, he had 23 points. The rest of the team had 22, and that's, you know, somebody asked me this on Twitter today, and it's a fair question in a way, but my answer to it is this, and the question was, was that just a matter of Pitt's that bad or Syracuse's defense is that good? And I think it is a matter of they're that good. Now, Parker Stewart kept getting open, leading to Jim Beheim in a rare feat, shedding the jacket. He said six was his limit. You get to six, and okay, I'm going to drop a jacket. Other than that, this is what Syracuse does. They, they essentially gave Pitt a dose of their old, old medicine, right? Not a dose of their own medicine. A dose of their old medicine, because that's not what, I don't even know what Pitt is anymore. And you don't want to take anything for granted. It's a tough league and all the cliches I have to apply to these conversations. And you got to play this team again next week. And, you know, they kind of figured Syracuse out and have a better approach next time around. But Syracuse just needed to know what it felt like to win. And as Jim Beheim said last night, now they really need practice. I mean, we're talking about practice, and they need it. And to get a week of practice right here, it, it, you're not in the middle of the ACC schedule quite yet, but you're at a time when you kind of need to take a step back, get a breather, get everybody back into the flow. You know, classes started again yesterday. It's a good time. You know, basketball teams normally don't get bye weeks, but this is essentially – Syracuse's bye week here. Here's Jim Beheim on the approach going forward. There's not an easy game on the schedule, and I think we'll be in those games. I think we got a chance in every one of those games, just like we have now. But it's, it's we're going to have to play really well. We're going to have to make some shots, and there will be nothing easy. Though so it'll be difficult, and that's just the way college basketball is, and this league is in general. The home teams are winning because even the weaker teams can beat you at home. There's some years where there's two or three teams that probably can't win it, even at home. But now all these teams can win at home. And Pitt, you know, last night came in and for about a half, and really part of the second half, at least threatened to keep this a game until that swing we talked about and then Syracuse put, you know, as best a foot down as you could and won an ugly game 49, or pardon me, 59 to 45. Frank Howard all over the court last night. Now, he had 18 points, but didn't even really shoot that well. It was 5 for 14, but 
He led the team in assists. He led the team in steals. He almost led the team in rebounding. And this was one of those I got you kind of games because Tyus Battle, I mean, it's hard to follow up a 37-point performance, but he is the engine that drives this team offensively and has to be on his game offensively. When he wasn't, enough players were just enough to keep Syracuse's head above water. And then when Tyus Battle started hitting some shots right before the half and then hit a couple of shots in the second half and Frank Howard with timely scoring and a couple other guys kind of filled in the gap, you can kind of ugly your way through these games. And I think, as Jim said, he makes a good point there. The way that this team plays, as tough of a watch as they can be, will keep them in every game. It's a matter of do you have the offense you did from one guy against Florida State, but do you have the offense overall? I thought ball movement was a lot better last night on a few different possessions. You're starting to see some things, and I wonder what a week of practice will bring this team. And you come out of that week of practice against a team you certainly can beat. Against Boston College, you get another game you should throw in your back pocket as a win against Pitt, then Georgia Tech, and then you go into a tough stretch with Virginia and some of the better teams in the league, but a lot of those games are at home. So Syracuse is in a pretty good position right now, despite you watch this team, like, man, they're tough to watch. They can't score. and they, they can frustrate you because it's not entertaining. You want to see basketball. You want to see offense. You, want, you know, last night, it was like church in that place. It's a 9 o'clock start. The students just got back. It's not an entertaining game. you got two teams that, you know— if you appreciate rebounding and defense and grinding basketball, then you're happier than, you know, a clam. But if you look, you know, actual basketball, back and forth offensive basketball, last night wasn't your night. But that's kind of how this team has to do it. And last night, it was just a matter of just get a win, know what that feels like again, and now you get a week off. You get a breather, and they need it. They kind of need that breather to recover from what they've been through, and to get ready for what's coming. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line's 288-0644 if you want to hop on board. Now, I do have a couple of Syracuse and ACC-related things that I'm going to throw at our next guest, but we're going to kind of take the conversation beyond Syracuse and look at the whole scope of college basketball with somebody who covers it as well as anybody. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, joins us next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. On the Block is presented by Burdick Toyota. How's your Wednesday going, baby? Getting over that hump. Thanks to Mike DeCorsi for joining us. We are going to talk to Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack coming up top of the hour. Jim Beheim on tomorrow's show, his weekly spot with us. Joins us every Thursday. Joining a real radio program as opposed to talking to that Rain Man guy over on K-Rock. That and so much more, kids. It's only Wednesday. The rest of the week, jam-packed. Right now, though, with that fancy open, let's do some hot takes. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Hot Takes presented by Agway Energy Services. Log on to agway.com. Find out how you can get a $100 gift card. Uh, This just came across uh, 
like in the last hour, and I wanted to mention it briefly here because it, it, this very thing happened in the studio during the break. So why is it when news of an injury to Tom Brady comes out, like everybody is immediately skeptical that it's some sort of like war games going on from New England? And football coaches are like that in the cloak and dagger game that they play and, you know, what kind of injury do you really have? But it's interesting because, you know, the Patriots put out a tweet today that Brady would not appear at his scheduled media appearance because he had to go to get medical treatment. You're like, okay, well, well, what does that mean? It's from uh, NFL.com. NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reported Tom Brady, who was a limited participant Wednesday because of a right hand injury, quote, doesn't sound like a major anything. Okay. But the way injuries get reported and how they're documented and, you know, skipping the media. I mean, these guys find reasons to skip media. (laughs) Oh, man, I got a hangnail. Sorry, I got to go get treatment. Can't talk to the media. Brady often is held out of early practices. They limit his reps. So is it cloak and dagger? Is it something real? If you're Jacksonville, you're like, all right, hand injury, do you say? Because, look, that, and who was it who called yesterday? Our boy Monty is a Patriots fan. I've talked to a few Patriot fans this week and I've heard it generally, and I don't know if they're trying to kind of psych themselves out in this sense, like lower the bar of expectation, and then when they win again, (laughs) we had nothing to worry about. But this is a legit front four and a great secondary that can make Tom Brady's life hell. And I still come back to, that's Blake Bortles against Bill Belichick. And I'm just taking Belichick and Matt Patricia in that matchup every day of the week and twice on Sunday. They will not be fooled by what the Steelers were last week and even the Bills were two weeks ago. But just one of those, you know, kind of keep an eye on it through the week kind of things. Will it be the overblown storyline heading into the AFC Championship game come Sunday? That's hot. Now, speaking of Blake Bortles, I just wanted to point this out because it's interesting how it's not being hypocritical. It's just how people view certain things, right? So we all know what Bills Mafia did for Andy Dalton. Dalton gets the Bills into the playoffs, and his charitable foundation is flooded with donations from Bills fans as a way to say thank you, and it became a national story. And I mean, the where that money will go and the good that it will do from here on out, particularly for what Andy Dalton's foundation does, that's a great thing, right? We all can agree, like, this is a great thing that came out of a great moment. It wasn't just, oh, what a great moment, and we'll remember it forever. And it's like, no, it's like real productive things will come out of this. Kids will get medical treatment because of this. And like real life impact from a football game and how that can inspire people, right? Okay. But what if I told you there was a football player out there who is wrapping up a million dollar pledge to more than 40 charitable organizations all over the country? Kevin Durant, Steph Curry have both pledged $10,000 to match the cause to organizations in the Bay Area. A number of other prominent athletes are also going to match this NFL player's million-dollar pledge to over 40 charitable organizations all over the country. If I just stopped right there, you'd say, oh, what a great thing, football players making good in the community. Well, then I say the name Colin Kaepernick, and it changes the conversation, right? Doing the same thing the Bills fans are doing for Bengals fans. Uh, 
I brought up I brought up Blake Bortles. More than 100 Bengals fans have contributed nearly over five thousand dollars. Could be more by now. This is last we checked a couple hours ago. Since Jacksonville beat Cincinnati's biggest rival, the Steelers, last Sunday. So this is becoming a thing. Fans are like, thank you, and they are helping out charitable causes as a thank you. As I've said all along, you can say all you want about Colin Kaepernick. I've said plenty. I was never in favor of his take-a-knee thing, and still am not to this day for a number of reasons. But this wasn't just one of those, hey, I'm going to get on Twitter and fire off social cause tweets and retweet things like he went out there and did stuff he donated a million dollars he's traveled the world he's gone to africa and other places in the world and in this country gotten into communities he hasn't said bleep about it he hasn't done one interview about it he, oh he's just he just wants attention and all these things it's like well if that were the case wouldn't he be in front of every camera and every microphone and every opportunity to do that because trust me He's a wanted commodity there. And he did that GQ thing, but it was only a photo shoot, so he has a completely hidden thing. And trust me, I've brought it up. Kaepernick's done some dopey things. His stupid, you know, Fidel Castro shirt that he wore and some of these things, the pig socks, which I still have a major problem with. He's not perfect, but this isn't just a guy who was rabble-rousing out there. He is doing some things that we are praising Bills fans for doing. We are praising Bengals fans for doing and Jags fans for doing. Oh, they're raising money and... This guy's raised not only a million dollars, he's getting major athletes to match that cause. I mean, if we're going to rip the guy over here, you've got to be fair and at least acknowledge what he's doing over there. You have to be fair about that, right? I'm not saying you got to like it. I'm not saying you got to agree with it. I'm just saying that's hot. He's putting his money where his mouth is. And you at least have to acknowledge that if you're going to criticize him, which I certainly have done a number of times. So Lane Kiffin's at it again. You know, look, again, say the one about Lane Kiffin. The guy knows how to get attention. And when you're at Florida Atlantic University, you've got to do everything you can to bring attention to stand out in the recruiting wars. Kiffin is a name that does that because he's had success elsewhere. He has certainly uh, worn out his welcome at other places, but they went 11 and three this year. And, and, you know, Florida kids who would only think about Florida state and Miami and all those schools in the state, not to mention all the other coaches that are coming into Florida. are like, well, I don't have to go that far because I can play for Kiffin. This is interesting. He just hired Charlie Weiss jr. To be his offensive coordinator. Yes. He's the son of Charlie Weiss, former Notre Dame coach, longtime NFL assistant. By the way, Charlie Weiss has, one of the sweetest gigs in sports. All the buyout money he's getting. We should pull up how much exactly that is. He's got buyout money from Kansas, Notre Dame, and I think his NFL money dried up, but my man's just sitting back watching the checks flow in from all the people that paid him off to not coach there anymore. Charlie Weiss Jr. is 24 years old. 24. And he's now the offensive coordinator at FAU. Kiffin told ESPN he hired him Monday after the Falcons' playoff loss. Weiss Jr. was an offensive assistant for Atlanta, previously worked with Kiffin at Alabama, then briefly as a tight ends coach before landing with the Falcons. So he brings it back. And coaching is a lot of who you know, not what you know. And ideally, it's the combination of who you know and what they know, and you bring them back in. But you've got to do things differently when you're trying to make FAU stand out in the most competitive state 
in college football, right? That's one way to do it. That's one road to go down, right? 24. And look at Sean McVay, head coach of the Rams. How old is he? 32? That's hot. I believe. And the uh, Matt Nagy, who they just hired in Chicago, he's 39, I believe. Yeah, he's 39. The image of the old grizzled football coach, they're still out there. Trust me. I mean, Dick LeBeau was coaching in the playoffs this week. They're still out there, but you're starting to see this tide turn a little bit. You don't have to be around for you got you got to pay your dues and be around football for 30 years. Don't have to do that anymore. Four three seven, seventy six forty four. Well. <clears throat> Whoa, baby. Sorry about that. Had something go down the wrong pipe there, which is always fun when you're doing a radio show. All right, we're okay now. 437-7644 is the number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. Let's hit the phones a little bit here. Take a break. Certainly talk more Syracuse basketball. John Wildhack, Syracuse Athletic Director, is coming up top of the hour. The Syracuse football schedule is out today. We'll certainly bring that up with Wildhack, but we'll go over that with more of a fine-tooth comb in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Wayne in the truck wanted to chime in first on the phones at 437-7644. What's up, Wayne? Hey, Brent. You know, the Bills uh, donating to uh, uh, the uh, Bortles makes per our uh, cheese. The, the Bills donating to the, ben- yeah. uh, the Bengals makes perfect sense. The Bengals do- donating to Bortles, uh, are we sure that uh, that's not the Patriots fans making those donations? <laughs> We, there's ways we can track these things online, right? So maybe it is them. All right, that's all I had. There you go, Wayne. Appreciate the call. Yeah. Are we sure those aren't coming from New England? Can we, we can track this stuff, right? But I like this trend. The point is, like, this will catch on, and other fans will do this. It's like, if that's the new trend not just some dopey t-shirt or some hashtag or something it's like no we're like really making a difference here this is something we can catch on here we've got to figure out a way how we can flood some donations to like the Jim and Julie Bayheim Foundation or you know there's lots of great causes here in central New York certainly we don't want to play favorites but I like that this is a trend instead of that mannequin challenge and all these dopey viral things they do that do nothing like this actually makes a difference in the world the more you know. We'll break on that note. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye.